Nikki Giovanni once wrote, Poetry and music are very good friends. Well, when it comes to the music of my guest today, I can think of no better example of this being true. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Shadows get behind Darkness, stay away And leave me Leave me alone Moonlight, stay above That I might find the way Don't strand me so beautiful i almost played it all the way through that is the music of the great lake swimmers a band which features my guest today on the program tony decker let me tell you a little bit about the great lake swimmers and tony decker with just about 10 albums under their indie folk belts the great lake swimmers have consistently been one of the most arresting affecting and spellbinding bands around And in the spirit of full disclosure, they're one of my favorites. The Canadian outfit first introduced themselves to the world with their self-titled 2003 effort, and since then, they've put out classics like New Wild Everywhere, The Waves, The Wake, and the Juno-nominated Lost Channels, which, by the way, was shortlisted for the Polaris Prize. Sonically, the band bring to mind everyone from early R.E.M. to Teenage Fan Club to Miracle Legion. And their songs are powered by singer Tony Decker's poetic lyrics, which come together to form a literate blend of ecology, environmentalism, and good old-fashioned romanticism. The guy is a potent triple threat. The Great Lakes Swimmers have also put out four live albums, four EPs, and a covers album that features takes on numbers by the Rolling Stones, Tom Waits, Neil Young, and John Cale. Oh, and Decker also has a marvelous solo album called Prayer of the Woods, The point here is that there's a healthy crop of Great Lakes Swimmers material for you to plunge into. But the music you're hearing on the program today marks the first new material since 2019. It's been a while, but the band is back. And they've never sounded better. So here you go. Me and Tony Decker having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
Tony, a very impressive uh, collection of albums behind you. This is just my little kind of creative space in my house here, and of uh, just makes for a nice Zoom backdop, you know. <laughs> it does. I see your John Fahey. That John Fahey box set. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been collecting. Well, not really collecting. I inherited all of my family's record collections since uh, since I was about fifteen. So I've got two or three thousand vinyl LPs, um, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I've kind of cooled down on it a little bit since the, um, you know, like the whole vinyl vinyls kind of come back and it's super expensive now. So it's makes it a little bit tougher to. Or, you know, before the before 2009 or 2010, I could walk into a record store and come out with an armload of records for like, you know, 40 bucks or something. And now it's like 40 bucks for one, you know, or right. more. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's gotten a little strange, but I know. Was- but here's here's what they do is they make the new albums super beautiful. <laughs> so like yeah. you really That's- want them more than ever. Um, I was an amoeba here in Berkeley and they had this soul asylum box set from the twin tone years and it was just gorgeous and i was like i just really want that but it was like 80 bucks or something like that yeah yeah but, yeah i hear you i'm still i'm still into it and I, but i'm a little bit more selective i guess yeah i know <laughs> I still love my vinyl yeah i know it's you know a friend of mine was saying to me um oh i've got to make some changes i'm getting rid of albums and i was like why why would you ever do that I, I i have not gotten to the point where i want to pare down my collection i want to keep building it are you what stage are you in i don't really want to get there's probably a couple handfuls i could live without but it's not really worth you know i don't think it's worth going through the, I, I i treasure pretty much all of them that i have i i and uh I, I haven't i'm not like a serious collector or anything but i i i've just gotten what i like over the years you know so yeah it's a pretty personal collection it's not like a uh you know, like I got to have every, you know, original Beatles UK pressing from, you know, it's not like that at all. It just, but like, I did happen to get a lot of really cool Beatles records from an uncle of mine who's, I happened to be over at their house the day that his, his wife, my aunt said, um, you got to get rid of those records. They're just taking up so much space. And if you don't get rid of them, if you don't find a place for them, I'm going to take them out to the curb. And I just happened to be there and said, said like, oh, I'll, I'll take them. <laughs> yeah. Are you, do you find that you're listening exclusively on vinyl or is that your medium that you prefer? I prefer it, but it's, it's a little bit impractical for obvious reasons for travel and for um, having little kids in the house. Um, it, it gets to be a little bit tricky, um, but uh, it, I prefer to listen that way. There's nothing I like more than at the end of the day, putting on a record, you know, um, and sort of just flaking out and listening, really absorbing it, you know. So it's yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit trickier to, you know, to put a record on that they'll also be interested in, <laughs> um, and um, also they don't travel as well. We do when we're on the road. We if we're on if we're on a tour, well, generally one of us will have like a little portable turntable, but you know how that kind of stuff is. I mean, it's not it's not great um, quality wise, but it is we can get sort of like a, a post gig listen to like our, our vinyl finds from being on the road, or at least we could three years ago. We haven't really done a big tour since then. So are your children at, at an age where they've shown curiosity about what's in the collection? Not really quite yet. No, they're still pretty young, but I expect that one day they probably will, you know, 
Does having young children change the way you think about the road and how long you want to be gone? It's such a tricky question because, you know, right before the pandemic started, we were at the end of an album cycle and I felt like I was finding a pretty good balance between home and road life. And I've just literally felt like, you know, I've been in stasis for three years now going almost three years, March, 2020. So and we've done some tour dates close to home, but we haven't done a lot of traveling and we haven't done any touring just because um, we've been working on a new record and um, that's kind of kept me close to home. Um, but yeah, definitely like you want to strike a better balance in a way. I felt like I kind of like was approaching that good balance before and now I just want to get out there again, you know? Um, so I'm just sort of waiting. I'm in this little weird moment at this very moment where I'm just sort of waiting for the, um, the album to be released, you know, um, where it's been done. I've been working on it for, this is the longest I've ever spent, I think on a record we've been working on it for almost three years. Plus actually, if I go back to summer 2019. So um, yeah, I'm just working really hard at being patient right now. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? Yeah. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> First of all, can you explain to the listeners what an album cycle, being at the end of an album cycle means? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess, well, our last real full length record came out in 2018 of like new music. Um, and we toured really hard for a year um, into 2019. Um, and we had gone to, we'd covered all the places we wanted to tour. Canada's pretty big country so we toured you know both coasts and across the prairies and across the mountains and in the U.S. two or three times uh different er regions and areas of the U.S. and Europe um and uh as a follow-up to the album which was more or less acoustic guitar free we released an all acoustic guitar version of it um and so I was kind of following up doing uh, I was supposed to do some solo dates with um a friend of mine from the band Picastro uh, also based in Toronto and um, that was a, a tour set for April 2020 um, and that was sort of like the, the last sort of bit of touring that I really wanted to do um, on that album so it's it's like um, you know it, it takes a lot of prep work to kind of set it all up properly and I, I, I'm, I feel thankful that we didn't have the album coming out in March 2020 or you know like a lot of you know or later that all that prep work was in place for a lot of artists and a lot of bands. And so I'm grateful that it was like that um, for us, but at the same time, it was, uh, yeah, it felt like we were just, yeah, finishing off all of the touring that we wanted to do and, and reaching all the people that we wanted to try to reach with that particular album. So that was the cycle, so to speak. Is there a benefit in, as you struggle with being patient, <laughs> is, there, is there also a benefit to having a record marinate as long as this one has i don't know I'll, I, I, i'm really happy with it i'll see what happens when it's released how people respond to it um i i think it was a really nice sort of silver lining to have a little bit more time to work on all the songs for sure um and uh you know it was tricky to do we had really strict lockdown rules in in ontario and canada where we're based and um so we were in lockdown a lot of the time over the last you know two and a half years or so so it was really tricky to sort of get people together and even when we did like we'd be you know really like at opposite parts of the room with masks on and like it was just you know it's a really bizarre way to 
to work on a record and to record, but I, I am happy that we got to spend more time on it for sure. Do you feel in terms of going out there and hitting the road, do you have any anxiety about, I mean, the singer has to stay healthy, but do you have anxiety about that? Or is it the same anxiety you always had about the singer always had to stay healthy? Yeah, more or less it's the same, but you know, in this case, maybe we're kind of past that point now, but I've just watched as bands, um, you know, had to cancel sections of their tour or bands had to like, you know, like there was, I forget which group it was that were friends of mine, um, but they, someone, someone got um, sick in like, while they were in like, you know, Stockholm, Sweden, you know, they were touring out there and then one of them got, you know, the COVID and they were, they had to isolate for like five days or something. And so they had to put everyone up in hotels. The rest of the band kind of moved on without them. It was just kind of this, sounded like a really awful kind of situation. So maybe we're, we're kind of past that now, maybe, um, but there's still the risk, you know, no one really's, no one's really sure about how this is all gonna get, kind of go. Not to mention there's like every band is out there trying to play catch up now too. So there's just a lot going on. It feels very, uh, very uh, different, you know, than it did before pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, were there moments where you were like, I'm trying to figure out how to put groceries on the table, money in the bank? Like when when the band comes to a standstill as a touring proposition, um, of course, Bandcamp is there, but I don't know. I don't know what Bandcamp brings in for a musician. Um, was there ever a level of of nervousness about that aspect of the business? 100%. Yeah. I was like trying to stop myself from some freaking out. Um, and we were lucky that there was some sort of like governmental kind of stop gaps where, you know, there was that, that was a help where we are in Ontario and Canada. So I have to, I have to mention that, but I also got really busy going into like the band's archives and um, released some, uh, some live uh, concerts, you know, as a, as a kind of an album. Um, And I did, I pulled, I found that I had like 30 or 40 different cover versions um, from different radio sessions and things that we've done over the years. So I put together like a covers kind of band camp exclusive kind of thing. Um, it'd be fun to kind of press that one day, but, um, it just sort of exists in the digital sort of form right now. Um, and, um, and then we did like a double LP, uh, which was kind of like also a kind of a pandemic project where it was like a live show from a, a show that we had done in Toronto that was recorded by the the public broadcaster here called the CBC, which is like our version of the NPR kind of thing. Um, and um, they did a really great um, job recording it and it sounded really nice. So we, we repressed it as a vinyl as a sort of like a pandemic kind of, you know, I was just trying to find things to do in between like writing and recording, you know, to sort of like um, make ends meet. The covers um, album, I remember seeing that on Bandcamp and I was like, wow, those that's a really cool list of covers that you did. <laughs> of, it was- I mean, the range of it alone it's completely random like that stuff was all just stuff we had already in the can i didn't record anything special for it it was just all sitting there and there was more there's a whole other album's worth too but um um but it yeah i mean it was just yeah you do a session sometimes or we did you know like a i don't know some stuff we kind of did for fun there was maybe some live stuff in there asked to, to do like tribute tribute compilations and stuff like that like that rolling stone song was like the alt country tribute to the Rolling Stones, sort of like you know, um, so yeah, there's a, that's which is a really great album actually. There's a really great How Galb song on there, I think. 
anyway there's a bunch of great stuff on there um, um but stuff like that random real random sort of things that um i actually had the time to sit and go through being at home the whole time how was the response to to that sort of treasure trove of goods that you put up on Bandcamp? I think it was I think it was good. I think it like served its purpose. It wasn't really meant to be a sort of like a a wide release or anything. It was just sort of meant to sort of you know uh, the the people that follow us and that are fans. They you know I, I think they found it. Um, so um, yeah, it was a way of just sort of trying to just kind of continue doing continue working you know while while there was all this downtime i think it was fairly well received though yeah i loved it um and the live set that you there was a live set you put up that was amazing i just i i can't remember what show it was it was from like 2014 or something or 13 it was great okay the was it the live in ottawa one the ottawa one yeah okay yeah thanks yeah that was a good um uh, that was very random too. There was like a guy in the audience that recorded it and just sent it. It was like on a two track, like, and it's, it was, it's not like super hi-fi quality, but it's super vibey and, you know, it just, it was, it happened to be a really nice show too. So um, I'm glad that one got out there. Yeah. It sounded great. Thanks. Uh, I got to, um, I spoke to John Angus at the Trues a couple of years ago. He told me that after the Trues play, they do a sort of, post-mortem backstage like let's go over how that went um are you like that are, are you are you that immediate in your sort of evaluation of your performance do you how do you how do you um appraise what just happened or um what happened a few days before yeah that's a really really good question i mean for me it's mostly you know how I felt about it it's you know I I don't feel like I'm a super technical player I mean there's obvious things I have a great sort of backing band um a great you know that it's a kind of a bit of a revolving cast of, of musicians in, in our in our band but um and uh you know there's there are obvious really obvious things like if someone flams or something like that you can really tell but but uh it's more about for me if we've made a connection to the audience you know and it felt like if we didn't had a good time and played well then that's really the you know um that's how i judge a good if a show was good or not not necessarily if we how many mistakes we made or how we could do better in some way i think it's just how it's you know if we've if we did done a good job sort of delivering and having the conversation then it's uh, i consider it a good show is it also one of those things where a friend of mine was telling me that he he was married for a long time and now he's dating again. He said, when I sit down with someone on a date, I can tell in the first five seconds if there's a rhythm, if there's a feel. Um, not that playing live is like dating, but when you when you when you get in front of an audience, can you tell by the first song, like, oh, is the feel good? Is it does it feel like there's a rhythm, there's a connection, or does it and or is it dangerous to be thinking that having that monologue going in your head? Because I imagine it could also be distracting. Yes and no. I think that you know you can kind of like you can the, the you can kind of change the course too. Like like uh, sometimes there'll be a very generous audience and they just want you to win, you know, and it makes it that much easier. And other times you have to sort of fight for their attention or or fight to win them over, and that is a different kind of thing. And um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, what, big shows, small shows, in between, we we try to, uh, you know, 
play to each other and listen to each other and play as a unit um, and really serve the songs, you know, um, and um, and try to, you know, present them in a way where there is some sort of, um, uh, you know, that, that there's some sort of resonance with the audience, you know? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I try not to think about it too much. I'm, I'm kind of trying to be in the moment, I guess, you know? That's what I'm thinking. Cause I imagine if you think like, oh, this is going well. <laughs> yeah. That's when you fall off the rails. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I teach, I teach university for a living and there are times where I'll be teaching and I'll go, oh, like I'll, you know, I'm, I'm doing really well. And then I'll take my eye off the ball. And then you can feel that micro shift of the, of the momentum. And I can see my students have completely turned on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. It can be like that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible feeling. It's awful. Yeah, it is. Or if you, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not very good at like the whole banter thing too. Like some people, some, especially like, you know, singer songwriters, musicians, they're really good at, you know, being funny and telling jokes and funny stories. And that's not really my thing, but you know, every once in a while, I feel like I should say something, you know, I should address the audience. And and sometimes you just say the wrong, you know, you slip up, or sometimes I just feel like I'm, you know, stuttering or uh, tripping over my own words. And, and, um, you know, all of a sudden, that can be the thing that just kind of like, you know, suddenly just turns, turns people off too. you know. Yeah, yeah. in my own myth making, experience with as a as a music listener and fan is i always i always would say that canadians were the best at banter because i saw great big c in the 90s and i saw um sure, moxie, yeah. moxie freebus i saw them in the early 90s and they were just so funny and smart jan arden all these great canadian musicians their banter even sarah mclaughlin was terrific in terms of that um but so in my brain, I go, Canadians are great at banter, which of course is a ridiculous generalization to make, but, it, or bare naked ladies. It's a, it's a thing that I did notice. A lot of comedians from Canada, for sure. Yeah. 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 So maybe there's that, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to try to assess why that is. Um, I have, I, I would, I would offer some theories, uh, you know, if we had more time, but um yeah, I'm not so good at this, like, you know, there's this kind of element of stand-up comedy that people like. Is that is it like that with, like, prof professoring or professing? You like, know, it's funny. It it um, You have to have an element of, like, you know, comedy. I I always, that's my sweet spot, but I don't know if everyone does it that way. I might just be a terrible teacher, but I mean, I always, and that's why I always feel that, like, if um if a class goes well it almost feels like a like a comedy set went well and if it doesn't if it didn't go well it feels like you're you're not only are you a terrible teacher but you're also the least funny person on the planet yeah that's kind of what i'm talking about yeah <laughs> a hard job yeah i i think i saw jonathan richmond play two nights in a row he did the same banter both nights and i remember being so disappointed then in my brain i thought this is a show. What do you want him to do? Like have fresh material every single night? That's crazy. Well, I, I saw Jonathan Richmond two nights in a row in Toronto when he played a bunch of years ago as well. And the two sets couldn't have been more different. Really? Yeah. Like they were like completely different. Like for one of the sets, I think it was the first night he was being sort of like what I would consider like the, the sort of the regular Jonathan Richmond where he was like, you know, 
telling funny stories, interacting with the crowd and taking requests and, you know, playing guitar. And then the second night though, he would like, I, I mean, he played about half the amount of songs and spent most of the time, he would finish the song and then put down his guitar and go back beside the drum kit, Tommy Larkins on the drums, of course, and then grab like the sh shakers, some maracas and just start dancing and shaking maracas for like 10 minutes. <laughs> it was like in staring off into the lights, you know, into the concert hall. And it was like, I was like, wow, it just kind of like, you know, kind of blew my mind on another level. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan, but it was like, it was really like the opposite. Um, so, wow. Yeah. But it's hard. I have seen bands too, where, where they have, you know, a couple on the same tour or a couple nights in a row where, you know, there was there a lot of the same jokes, a lot of the same flow and the same breaks in the set. I mean, it's, it can be kind of hard, I think, to, to do something you're sort of confined to. I mean, there's improvising. We do some improvising in our band a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it's hard to change up the set list every night, I would think, you know, cause you sort of get into that sort of groove. Um, it's cool you like Jonathan Richmond. Have you been a, a fan for a long time? Yeah, uh, since the the mid '90s, I think was the first time that I saw him. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, he really I was instantly became a fan. Um, he played in Toronto. I've seen him a bunch of times in Toronto, and um, he um, yeah, it was just he was full on like just interacting with the audience. Like everyone was just like, you know, shouting out requests and he was playing them and asking them for advice, like from the stage. And he was giving them advice about like relationship advice. And like, it was just, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, every time I've seen him, it's been great. I would, every time he's in range, I try to go see him. I'm a really big fan. What's your take on that? Um, the classic modern lovers album with the one with uh like she cracked and hospital and girlfriend yeah i i mean it's 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 great you know yeah absolutely i, I honestly i put on his probably his early solo stuff more than i put on the modern lovers but i mean it's undeniably a classic album you know uh kind of front front hand i remember i got obsessed with the rockin and romance album um okay I love that with the chewing gum wrapper and my jeans are on that one. Uh, and then uh, the back in your life record. I really loved those two records a lot. Okay. I, I'm just drawing a blank. Like, um, yeah. You know, like the, they're kind of hard to find. They're, um, yeah. they're out of print. Okay. Um, but if you can find, to me, Rockin' and Romance is my, is my favorite. Um, that must be 85, 86. Yeah. And, I wonder if. If and I, I feel like it was on twin tone tony i think it was actually on the replacements label at the time when they put out like hoot nanny and then uh let's see what he got yeah that's a great one so that's before yeah. that one's before um rockin and romance that's the self-titled one that's a great record okay. yeah it is i know that, that has one. the snowman song on it i think that one. Like yeah it starts off with rock and shopping center and then yeah yeah, Abominable Snowman. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. I love that one. I like that you're alphabetized like I am. But um, yeah, try to get if you so back in your life, what's the one that has um give Paris one more chance? Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I know like the action-packed compilation fairly well, but I there's also like it's not on I Jonathan and it's not on Jonathan Goes Country and it's not on anyway. I, yeah. I, 
yeah a little bit lost in the the titleage but yeah he has a lot of a lot of albums evidently someone told me he runs a um, a sheetrock business somewhere here in california wow <laughs> of course he does <laughs> yeah i know i know of course of course he does yeah. um i had the great lake swimmers on in my car and my friend came in the car and he said oh you're listening to teenage fan club oh wow <laughs> Yeah, he thought Amazing. he thought yeah. you guys were teenage fan club, and I said no, no, and I corrected him. Then he got super into your band, um, and I never heard the comparison before. But there is there is a sort of a very much a, a through line between you and teenage fan club. I think, in some ways, yeah. I mean, that's a really did you just kind of just pulled out of the air that 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 reference or the yeah he, yeah, he he just literally yeah. thought I was listening to teenage fan club. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm a huge Teenage Fan Club fan, but particularly with this new record that we were working on, I really wanted to like, you know, I've switched gears on this album that we've been working on like three or four times. But one of the gear shifts was like, I really want to make my version of Bandwagon Ask, you know, wow. which to me is like a perfect record, you know, um, I really, um, yeah, I've got the... I love that record. Yeah, me too. It's like, it, it really is one of my, my favorites. Doesn't that have um um what you do to me on there and like star sign? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it has both of those on there. So that's so weird that my friend mentioned Teenage Fan Club and here you are thinking about Teenage Fan Club as you're recording the new album. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um it's what a um Oh man, I'm just kind of flipping through my records here, but no no. There it is. So a while back they did a reissue of the vinyl. And I, I sprung for like the signed copy because I'm a oh, super nerd. Yeah. That's, no, that's so great. Yeah. yeah. What is it about that album, Tony, that really like that made that? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect album. I, I would totally agree with you. Yeah. That, but what did it mean for the Great Lakes Swimmers in 2023? Did it mean that you turned it up a little bit or, or what, what did it mean sonically? To me, that album, I got, it got a lot of spins over the, last two or three years because it's to me it was really like comfort listening it's kind of like you know like comfort eating like you want to like eat foods that make you kind of like feel good or whatever that record was like that was on an awful lot um i kind of came back to it uh early in the pandemic just because it was so like soothing in a way and so when we when we did our first session that was like my kind of like touchstone to like the band that we recorded with our, our first session that we did for this album was in, um, we had studio time booked in March, 2020, which we had to cancel. The earliest we could then get together, I think was um, September, 2020. By the time we were able to, you know, where it was considered safe enough to sort of do that after that sort of first wave started to go down. Um, and I was like, you know, I'd really love to just sort of make that kind of feel of a record. Um, so I started off the recordings for the album started in September, in uh, summer 2019. And I was kind of trying to make this kind of immersive um, sort of folk record, like a kind of like an angular type of like, you know, uh, location recording um, type of thing. But then um, we really sort of um, wanted to by Great Lakes Swimmer standards rock out a little bit, which basically meant, you know, that sort of like, to me, that that meant like, a, a sort of a feel-good jangled rock kind of rocking out you know um and uh and yeah one of the touchstones was like yeah I'd, I'd really love to make like listen to 
I asked everyone to listen to bandwagon ask before the session, you know, um, and come in there with kind of that sort of in their heads. So yeah, also, also one of my all time favorites, for sure. And yeah, I love it. And I love Grand Prix. And I love songs from Northern Britain. That's a real yeah. special record. That's a three punch too, isn't it? Like those were three in a row, weren't they? Yeah. 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 13 maybe was in there. Um, You're right. That's yeah. we call that a four punch because that yeah. they, put, they put at least four classic albums out back to back to back. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, love, love Teenage Fan Club for sure. That's and so yeah, like there's there's moments on this album album where it's kind of like that's where we're kind of that's kind of like we're kind of shooting at the moon in that way, you know, um, trying to maybe tr hit that mark. But then there's there's quieter stuff too, and there's some collaborative stuff, and um, yeah, it's sort of. I worried after it was done that all of the songs were going to fit together okay, that they would play well together because I sort of had these like you know very differing concepts of like where to sort of go with it um and it i just really sat on them for a long time and by the end i had a bunch of songs that um some of them we cut but you know it ended up being more of a dynamic sort of thing listening experience than i thought it would be when you say collaborative do you mean within the band or you brought people in yeah like like brought like some people in like there's some there was a, a choral group um from the niagara region where i'm based now um that uh it's a band called minuscule and i worked with a guy named joe lipinski who runs a studio here and uh, i said i've really got some ideas for like a choral type of arrangement bringing in like a kind of a choral group a singing group and so they are like an all-women kind of really powerful amazing force of nature singing group um and um they came in and the leader's name is laurel minnis and she um, did some really cool choral arrangements and brought in our choir and we, we 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 did some collaborations with them on a couple of the new tunes um so um that was i think we got to that last in 2020 summer 2021 fall 2021 it's kind of all it's a bit of a blur like yeah it's already like two years almost two years ago you know that's and crazy yeah and it's like that session went down it still feels very fresh though it's like that's another thing like about the last couple of years and what i've been trying to figure out with this album kind of in a way is just this sort of strange elasticity of time that you know has been sort of happening um uh feel a lot of the times even now it just feels like time is moving really slow and really fast at the same time like all of a sudden it's two or three years later but at the same time i just feel like i'm kind of waiting around at the same time so it's it's really weird big smoke in the rear
the new album is supposed to hit in April, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 And do, is there a title? Can we reveal the title or, or we or we don't want to say? I don't know. We're not quite there yet, actually. So yeah, it, it's it's gonna. Um, there's a title track, and that'll be out probably in a couple months, like you know, pre before the album's out. So, yeah. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what more to say about that. But just there are different collaborations, bringing some different people in, some old friends um that we've had guests on albums in the past and then a sort of a little core group of musicians um that are you know some of them make up the touring band um and uh, some of them are just friends um i tried to draw on people from the niagara region as as, as much as possible because there's really a really beautiful bunch of people um in the saint catharines and niagara falls and uh this sort of area uh on the ontario side um that i really wanted to work with um, and working with the producer from here um, made it really easy to kind of connect with those people. So um, I'm really happy and proud that they were able to to contribute to it as well. Did you, for just for solace during that sort of fallow time of not being able to go out, was it was it helpful for you to talk to friends of yours that are that are musicians that are in bands that can relate to what you're talking about or? Or like, what was your strategy and how did you, in terms of like coping from a peer level? Because I know a yeah. lot of people were talking about like, maybe we have to quit this business. Maybe we have to, whatever. Did you do that a lot during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, it was just, I don't think I realized it until afterwards because part of me was like, all we got to do is kind of get through this. All we got to do is just like stay home and make sure we don't get sick. And, you know, we can't really be around people, but you know, we can, you know, I had some long conversations with friends, uh, like over the phone and, you know, talking about everything. So it did feel good to be, you know, not alone in it, for sure. I mean, the entire world was experiencing it. But I don't think it, I really knew how much it weighed on me till after, like till things started opening up in like the last years, like this, you know, the last the recent months, where people are sort of now, I, I'm not sure how over it is, you know, how over over it is, because um, people are still getting sick. Um, I still wear a mask when I go to the grocery store. A lot of people I know do as well. I do um, too. Yeah, um, because I don't think it's really fully, we're not really fully aware of the implications yet either, which is another kind of other, you know, you know, a thing that we need to be concerned with, I think. Um, and, uh, but it wasn't until things started really sort of opening up again that I realized like, wow, I really, we really all went through something there, you know, because at one on one hand, it's like, you know, all you got to do is stay home and just try to, you know, be healthy and be safe. And on the other hand, it was like, you know, we just slammed the brakes on a train, you know, and it's really hard to get that sort of going again. And it's, it, there was a lot of sort of anxiety about the whole thing that um, I didn't, I don't think I wanted to admit that it affected me that bad. I was kind of trying to tough through it, you know, and at the end, it was like, wow, we all really went through something there. And that was not as easy as, as uh, I hoped it would be. How does it, um, in terms of your communication with your fans after a concert, I don't know how your meet and greets are or if you do them, um, but they're they're kind of a nice thing, right? It's nice to see your fans, meet your fans, shake some hands, take some pictures, hug a few or don't. Sure, um, yeah. Is that something that you'll, that is that component going to still be a part of Great Lake Swimmers post-show or is that something that you is a little uneasy about? At this point, I'm feeling pretty uneasy about it. Um, we've done some one-offs here and there, like I said, kind of close to home um, in Canada, 
uh, and mostly even on Ontario. We haven't traveled a whole lot yet. Um, I expect that we'll be doing a lot more of that when the album comes out. We're lining up tour dates and we'll, we'll have hopefully a pretty busy schedule. But um, yeah, there was, you know, I, I, I kind of like that aspect of it because it's it's a way to sort of like reach the people who the music has kind of resonated with. It's a way of sort of continuing that the conversation that you start with the show, with the with the concert, with the performance and with the recording and with the music. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd like to do that. It, I, I think for a band like ours, it's not so overwhelming. There was a point where maybe it was a little bit overwhelming. But I think we're kind of in that that sort of sweet spot where I, I don't think it's going to be overwhelming for us. Our fans are pretty respectful and pretty, pretty, you know, um, you know, nice and, and cool and nerdy and it's amazing. So, um, yeah, I think that I, I think that I probably would would want to sort of, you know, maybe very carefully approach that. Yeah. You know, it's a tough it's a tough one, though. You're right. It's a tough call, you know, because you don't want to get sick, you know. Yeah, and it's like, no, you don't. You don't. I mean, so maybe one of your fans says, yeah, I met Tony from Great Lakes Swimmers after the show. He was wearing a hazmat suit, but what am I going to do? <laughs> I probably would. I mean, I have a new book coming out in May, and I'll try to do some readings. And I'm kind of thinking the same thing. Like, you know, you do yeah. shake your hands, and you do... Um, you do have to kind of communicate with your, with your people if, you know, if you're lucky enough to have them, right? So they're, they are your people, but it is a tricky, it's tricky terrain. Um, it, but in terms of like me with this book coming out, I'm super excited. What's it, the book about? It's about this sort of this, these, um, this group of uh, superhero teenagers in the suburban neighborhood that save every day they're doing something heroic but they're real pieces of shit people, it turns out. <laughs> so the real teenagers, the out, the ones who are the outsiders are the real heroes. And so we find I that see. out, but yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of fun, but it's, um, but the idea that there is something coming out makes me feel incredibly excited. You must feel really thrilled to be able to put this record out. Yeah. It's been a, a really, really long journey. We, like I said, I started laying the groundwork for it in, in the summer of 2019 um, set up our sessions for March 2020 and it was just really you know really super bad timing um, or good timing you know maybe maybe it just it's just the way it is and and uh, I'm happy with the result um, I sort of wish um, um, I could be a little bit busier at the moment because it has been such a long sort of journey with it um, but the the sort of the the wisdom seemed to be until the wisdom seemed to be to wait until the you know, the pandemic was more or less over and we'd be able to go out and support it. We'd be able to tour again, um, especially having completed that sort of album cycle again, you know, from the last album at right at the start of the pandemic. So yeah, we had shows right up until March, right up until the lockdown. So, um, and had to cancel a lot of shows after it. Um, so a whole, whole year's worth of shows almost. So um and some of them we've played catch up with and we've kind of got back to this past year but but a lot of them just you know they just kind of go away um it's after two years it's kind of you sort of lose a bit of momentum on the gig you know so yeah um yeah but all that being said i'm pretty optimistic about it and i'm really really excited to play new music new touring band um you know new live band some some of the same guys from uh, that i've been playing with for many many years almost 20 years um, at this point, 
Um, and then some new people in the mix that I'm, I'm really super happy. It's excited to be playing with. Yeah. It'll be fun to get you back out there again. Right. I mean, my God, for sure. Yeah. You must've been writing a lot also during the pandemic. I wonder if you have like also stored up like a next record's worth of material. I, I don't know if it's like a next record's worth, but I think, um, there's definitely some things I want to go back to and, and develop some more. Yeah. There's bits and pieces everywhere. So there's lots of good good material there. As a huge fan of your work, I, I to me, I'm especially excited about the jangly, the turning up the jangle makes me really excited because that's my sweet spot in terms of my listening. Yeah, totally. I Again, it's, it's I don't know, I want to say it's kind of like almost like a 90s thing. Like I sort of like, you know, that was my big kind of concert going time was like in the mid 90s when all of those bands were touring. I saw a teenage fan club open up in a pretty small hall uh, opening up for Radiohead they were on tour with Radiohead for a bunch of dates in Canada yeah um, just before OK Computer hit so it was like in that nice sweet spot for I mean Radiohead were already pretty huge by that point but um, I went to see Teenage Fan Club and I thought like well if Radiohead's good I'll stay to see them too you know yeah and, and they were of course they were phenomenal it was amazing but I mean I was there for Teenage Fan Club you know <laughs> yeah and they yeah. must have been great yeah it was fantastic I mean it, in some ways I mean they got there was a lot of I people talking through the set too which made me you know a little disappointed yeah um, the people were really there to see radiohead at that point they were kind of blowing up so teenage fan club were great i mean they were amazing yeah i, I always felt that canada's answer to teenage fan club was sloan were you a sloan fan yeah in a way i i might even say like there's another band called the grapes of wrath oh um, yeah i remember canada that too, that I, I might say that you know that they would be in there too um but yeah he, I'm a, yeah of course big sloan fan um but i want to throw grapes of wrath into that ring too because they're uh, they were a big favorite of mine as well i think you're so, right uh, I think grapes of wrath i think more so than sloan especially those records that came out in like 90 in the early 90s with them exactly yeah yeah uh now and again i think was one of them that had like um all the things i wasn't kind of started started that record started with that one um, what was going through my head, I think, was on that one too. Anyway, they were great. great. Yeah, great yeah, great band. You're totally right about. It. I forgot about them. They were such a good band. They put out like three records that I just in a row that I just loved. Totally. Yeah. I had this here in California, Tony. I had this more myth making. I had this idea that every Canadian band were like friends. <laughs> it's like such a, well, such a, you know, I'll tell you, it's a pretty small community. It's a pretty small. Uh, it's a pretty small world, the Canadian music business. So pretty much everyone does know everybody. <laughs> yeah, people people seem to have each other's backs. I remember I was interviewing Matthew Good in like 1993 or four. Wow. I mentioned to him that I was going to be interviewing another Canadian band who really seemed obscure compared to his success, a band called Pure. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to hang out with that guy, the singer of the band tomorrow. And I was like, wow, everyone in Canada knows each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Pure had a great record back then too, actually. I kind of haven't heard their name in a while. Was that the one with like, it was like Anna's a Speed Freak, I think. Is that, yeah. is that, is that Pure? I think so. Yeah, yeah but uh, Jordy yeah. was the lead singer. Yeah. Check out my memory. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 90s can rock. Here we go. Here we go, right? <laughs> but there, but there, it, so I wasn't completely wrong. There is a bit of community between bands. For sure there is. Yeah. Yeah. In all seriousness, um, there definitely is. Yeah. Are there pockets of Canada 
if you find yourself somewhere in um you know saskatchewan or wherever are, are there pockets that where there's a, a much more fervent following that is kind of surprising to you for the swimmers i i guess so i mean like we've doing we've done a lot of touring we've i, I think that you know it's kind of strange because I think in some ways we're still, you know, kind of a little bit under the radar radar in some ways. I think that we're not, we haven't quite like, it's not like a mainstream breakthrough kind of band, you know, um, we're still very much sort of an indie kind of band. Um, um, but at the same time, like we've been around for 20 years now. So we have this, like the people that like us, like, you know, are they're, they're really true fans, they're rabid fans and they come to every show. And so, so it's, we're kind of in that little sweet spot where, um, where we have a really great sort of fan base, especially in, in all different parts of Canada, you know? Um, so, so yeah, and, and we've toured a lot over the years too in, in Canada and the US. Um, so, so there are definitely um, those pockets for us all over. You never came out to the Bay Area though, right? Here in California? Uh, definitely, we played San Francisco quite a bit. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've played at, um, our last show I think was at the, was maybe at the chapel oh um, yeah great yeah, venue. yeah um and we played early on we played at the bottom of the hill yeah um and we've played at is cafe du nord is that san fran is that los angeles Ca that's san francisco yeah 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 so it's great so yeah, so yeah we've been um you know especially early on we played some smaller places but the chapels was kind of a nice spot for us and um yeah, we've played up and down the West Coast a bunch of times. Cool. Yeah. Somehow I somehow I missed you. I don't know how. Um, a lot well, of times I'll be like, it's a school night or I'm like an old guy. Like, well, yeah, and, and I, I totally hear you. And also there's just so much coming at us all the time, right? It's hard to sort of like, yeah. unless you're really keyed in and really tuned into like, you know, uh, even I think the last time Jonathan Richmond came through town, I, I think that I actually in in all fairness i think we might have had something um scheduled then but um but even that i was kind of like oh that wasn't really on my radar you know and that kind of should have been yeah it, things it's just, life happens yeah it's it's but it's also um we're living in this age where there's just so much information flying around if you want to you know if you're you got to almost be like a hardcore super fan to like know when things are happening you know yeah i know you're not going to get the information in the same way anymore. No, in the old days we had a pay, I think here in the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle had this thing called the pink section. And it was like, you opened up the pink section. It was a supplement and you would open it to all the clubs and you'd go, I'm going to that and that and that. It was all in one spot. Exactly. And you, the internet's so yeah. much easier. It's like, not really. The pink section was much better than, than online. Yeah, exactly. Same thing's happening in Toronto too. The weeklies are starting to, they're getting thinner and thinner and thinner. Um, a lot of them have disappeared. Um, most of them have disappeared. So yeah, you don't have that sort of overview anymore. Yeah, absolutely. No, you don't. Yeah. Is there a, just in terms of a strategy for the band financially to have some success, is the strategy different than it would have been in 2003 now that the, that things have changed so dramatically? What, what is the strategy? Play a lot of shows, sell a lot of merch? get songs in movies get songs on the radio like or do you even bother thinking about that i don't know i, I don't think about that stuff too hard i mean I've, for me the heavy lifting is sort of in the songwriting and and putting as much of you know energy and resource into making the best possible songs and then hoping that they resonate with people but i think you know when you do that sort of 
groundwork, I think that it's, you know, that gives you your best chance, I think, almost, you know, because there's this, this idea now that I think um, that, you know, you need the right marketing or something, or you need the right social media. And yeah, that stuff is important, I guess, in a way, but I think what it really has to come down to is um, uh, uh, paying attention to the, you know, the content and the, 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 the music and the, you know, what you're sort of, what you're sort of, um, what you have to say and what you feel that you have to deliver to people that is, that is, um, you know, unique to you or, you know, something that you, that you feel that um, is worth sharing, you know, um, and, and that will sort of help people in some way, you know, even if it's just mm -hmm. to sort of like, um, bliss out for an hour and a half or two hours, you know? So I don't know, that stuff is all important and I don't undervalue it. Um, but as far as my scope, I, I feel that um, my focus always has to stay on playing good shows and, and writing good song, you know, trying to write good songs, trying to write something that, you know, I feel have some value that will, would have some value to people if they sort of take the time to unpack them a little bit. And if pulling on a line uh, ends up in a phone commercial, then it just ends up in a phone commercial. What are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. It's great when it does. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's great. I'm all for it. <laughs> I remember thinking that like a band like The Hidden Cameras where they they wrote this song about, about Mississauga, you know, like the yeah. city they were from became a character in their work. Did Wayne Fleet ever show up as a character for you? Did you ever sing about the city or did or your perspective of the city in your in your songs? Well, well, for starters, Wayne Fleet is like, it's a really small town. Uh, in, in fact, I think it has just become a town. In previous to recent years, it was actually called a township, which is like the population level was at like below 6,000 or something. So it's this kind of really small kind of farming community town. It's got like one stoplight. Um, you know, it has a little kind of little village kind of area where there's like the town hall and the library and a an elementary school and a corner store but that's pretty much it i think there's a hockey arena of course there's a hockey arena in this church yeah <laughs> <laughs> the two temples of canada um, <laughs> um and uh so uh so for starters it's a very small town um but i think that it figured pretty deeply in especially it still does it's a through line but especially in the that first album the first two albums, Great Lakes Rimmer's albums, were recorded in Wainfleet. Um, and so the definitely like that sort of rural sort of landscape growing up, um, uh, growing up for me meant a lot of manual labor and working on a farm from a very, very young age, learning how to drive a tractor when I was like 10 years old, um, and um, really being in, in that world not really thinking that uh, any sort of career in the arts was a possibility. I had no design on that wasn't even in my my purview um, at all as a possibility. Um, so uh, it was a surprise to me um, when I was able to sort of like eventually after working at it, um, sort of have a career in music at all. I never thought that was possible as a kid. Um, but but that sort of um, that sort of um, environment gets in your bones for sure. I spent a lot of time alone in the woods when I was a kid, you know, and, and that's uh, still a source of great um, inspiration and, and, um, uh, you know, well being for me, um, even to this day. Um, and so when I kind of like just really kind of tap into that sort of uh, that really sort of that deep dive, um, that's kind of where it where it goes. 
Um, so yeah, I still I go back there often. I'm, I'm, you know, I currently live in the Niagara region again. Um, and you know, about 40 minutes from where I grew up. Um, so it's, 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 um, it resonated, it has resonated with me for sure. I wouldn't go so far as to say maybe that it was a character, but it's definitely like a, a sort of, um, you know, an, an instrument. Yeah. Yeah. And that explains the introspection, I think, of the work too. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. You know, that sort of being in the woods and thinking about things. Um, can you hear, can you at least hear Wayne Fleet in those early, those first two albums? Can you hear the city in the songs? I think so. Yeah. Um, again, we recorded them pretty much in the middle of nowhere. So there's a lot of like environmental sounds that kind of got into it. Um, uh, and uh, early on, I mean, I just wanted to sort of get into a natural space that sounded good, but we ended up picking up so much more um, of the environment itself. And at, at a certain point, you have to say, well, do we sort of try to start putting filters on all this and kind of filter out the noise? Or do we just sort of like, you know, accept with accept the uh, environment as it is and and, and re really i'm glad that we decided to cho we chose to do that because it became a pretty important through line through all of the records was recording in locations and spaces um that have a sort of a a, a natural kind of resonance to them whether it's an outdoor space like a silo or a barn or something like that or whether it's like a a church with beautiful reverb you know um or another type of space that has some sort of history to it that has a some sort of magnetic charge to it in a way, you know, um, something that's like kind of palpable. There's a feeling there and part of it has to do with the history of a place. But I also think that being in a, a really uh, important space like that, you know, important, but, you know, resonant space, it really brings out a certain kind of performance in you. Um, and so I really love being able to sing and play in a room like that because I just feel it enhances the performance, you know, um, and it really it's like a another instrument another player in the band did your parents support your pursuit of the arts they did yeah i i think they were worried at first um you know it's not a it's a tricky as we know it's a tricky business to be in and it's a tricky world to navigate um 100 um and it doesn't always work out so um but uh, I, when I got out of, I, I finished my undergrad um, at Western University in, in London, Ontario, sort of a little couple hours east of Toronto, or west, I should say, of Toronto. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, got into um, a job in Toronto, working for like a film company for a couple of years, and uh, was slowly just writing and recording this for the first Great Lakes Swimmers album. And then it just sort of, I took the leap at kind of just the right time and, um, uh, pretty soon after that, I was I invited to tour uh, overseas and in, in the U.S. and just um, uh, just kind of followed that path. You know, I never had any design to be in the music business or to make a career out of being in a band or writing songs or playing music. So um, uh, it was just following one thing after another um, and kind of put me on this path. And yeah, uh, I'm really grateful for it. It's really um, it's been a it's been a good 20 years doing it now. What was your major at university? Uh, English, English language and literature, poetry and prose was the official. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Title. Yeah, 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 it was great. I, I didn't think it would be a very useful degree, to be honest. I was a little bit disillusioned coming out of school with a very large student debt and needing to find a job immediately to try to start paying it off. Um, so it was a it was a it was a rough start in my early 20s. But um, but in the end, I think it was actually I put more use 
to that degree than probably, you know, maybe some academics have, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. You're probably right. And you get out of school with the, with an English degree and you think like, well, it's great that I, I know John Donne poems, but that doesn't pay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know that's son. I know it's Shakespeare's sonnets. Yeah, totally. What's that going to do for you? No, but it's true. It, it It's, it's kind of, a, it's all come full circle because that stuff that gave me a really great base. I have to say after being distanced from like the whole disillusionment of, of, you know, realizing that academic, you know, the academic life really wasn't for me, um, you know, which I realized pretty early on. Um, I have to say coming back to it after a bunch of years that like it really did inform songwriting in a really good way for me, uh, particularly learning about um, how, how, uh, how poetry and prose functions and, and, and how it, how, how it all works, how it all fits together. You must see touches of the poets that you studied probably in your work. I mean, like there must be something that shows up. In some ways, I think, yeah. Um, it, it echoes of it maybe, but more more so than that though, it's just, it kind of gave me the the sort of the, the way of looking at words, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the most valuable thing, I think. Okay. Um, cool, all right, good. Hey, this was great. I hope you'll come back on the show. Yeah, I'd love to. It's really nice talking with you, Alex. Love Griffin on the Teenage Fan Club too. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. I got to tell my friend. My friend's going to go, see, I knew I was on this. Yeah, side. yeah. He was absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Okay, you too. Likewise. Take care, man. There you go. Tony Decker of the Great Lakes Swimmers, one of my all-time favorite bands. And uh, if you're on the Great Lakes Swimmers train or canoe, I guess would be more appropriate, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, greatlakeswimmers.com or greatlakeswimmers.bandcamp.com will get you all the information you need to know about this band. And uh, there's plenty of music. Buy it all. You will not be let down by a single note. This band is powerful, evocative, stirring, melodic, and, you know, altogether amazing. I love them. AlexCreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. There is a new book, as I mentioned, coming out May 1st, The Adventure Teen All-Stars. Get ready. I'll be talking about it incessantly in the coming weeks. You can follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can also email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget to check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, tell all your friends the order in which you do these things. Not that important. It's only important that you do them. Uh, Not all of them. Uh, we'd appreciate all of them, maybe some of them. Maybe you'll tell all your friends on a Monday, rate and review on a Friday. Mix it up. We don't care. We just appreciate your support. Let's close the show with a longer listen to what I think is one of the most beautiful songs of this year or of any year. The Great Lake Swimmers, Moonlight, Stay Above. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening. 
to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. Shadows get behind, darkness stay away, and leave me, leave me alone. Shadows get behind 